23 minutes after 8 here. You're listening to Ben Francis on SCNZ Extra Time for the last time in 2022. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I'm already going to award our next guest with the most appearances on Extra Time uh, this year, and that's Pete Fairburn. Pete, how are you today? Coming in from uh, from West Island, Benny. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me on the show. As always, I really enjoy uh, making sure all of our Kiwi brethren and, and sisters are fully abreast of the outstanding achievements of Australians in the world of sport. So it's always a privilege uh, to be let loose on your platform. Oh, no worries. We love having you on, mate. And what what? just going to start off here, what do you think is, in terms of all the sport achievements Australia had in 2022, is there one that stands out for you above the rest? Oh, gee, that's, that's a massive question. I think, um, you know, certainly from a national point of view, um, you know, the achievements of someone like an Ash Barty uh, finally breaking the drought and winning that Australian Open all the way back in January and then shocking the world, retiring not that long after, um, you know, ranks pretty highly. Watching Cam Smith um, you know, win the old Claret Jug over at the British Open as well. Um, I think from a team point of view, you, you know, you look at, at someone like the Penrith Panthers and the NRL season that, that they had, which was, uh, you know, on another level, and, and they've certainly developed into a real dynasty. But, mate, as per every year, you know, over this side of the world, there's just so many achievements that we're uh, prepared to bask in the glory of um, that they all, you know, get in the way of one another. Well, I, I like the ones you mentioned there because, you know, you go back to Ash Barty all the way back in, in January and, you know, you think of these events at the start of the year, you know, you, some of them do often slip your mind and when you said that, I'm like, oh, of course, it has to be up there. Well, mate, it's mental. I mean, if you reflect on the year, you know, look at your own, you know, taking it, you know, a slightly less tongue-in-cheek, no, you look at your own Warriors and the <laughs> fact that, you know, it was only a few months ago, in all seriousness, that the Warriors were still playing their home games here in Australia. We've had a an unprecedented couple of years on a sporting front. Um, you know, certainly Australia and New Zealand, our our sports leagues and, and teams, you know, are, are so inters, um, interspersed, you know, that, that we, we normally anticipate a lot of trans-Tasman activity. The last two years has made that really, really challenging. So having, um, you know, the, the Warriors back home, you know, in all seriousness, represented a bit of normality and finally things were getting back to normal. Having full crowds in stadiums, I mean, for myself, as a, uh, a displaced Victorian up here in Queensland, being able to to go and watch my Melbourne Demons AFL team in the flesh for the first time in a couple of years was pretty special. And, and there was a bit about um, this year um, in that, I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. Because when you're saying seeing your team in the flesh, you know, I, 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 was, I went to all the four Warriors games that they were back here and... I must say that when they were actually running out, it was actually probably one of the few moments that I can recall actually kind of having tears because it was it was a thing where I was kind of like, oh my God, it's actually happened because considering everything that had gone on and even at the start of 2022, you actually did not know until the Warriors were actually running out that they would be back because of the continual changing in circumstances. Well, that's 100% right. And I know Ricardo keeps me on a pretty tight leash when it comes to talking AFL. But if I look at the Demons, I mean, 2021 saw, saw the team that I've supported my entire 35 years of life win a first premiership in 57 years. And I couldn't go and watch it. It was in Perth and, and I wasn't allowed in that state. So I couldn't go and watch it in the flesh. And, you know, things like that hit you pretty hard. You, you, you probably, um, you know, you get over it pretty quickly when you, you just enjoy celebrating winning an AFL premiership you know, or the team you support. But it's been a really odd couple of years, you know, for those of us who, who live and breathe and, and, you know, are lucky enough to work in sport. And 
Um, 2022 really, for me, signalled a, a bit of a return to normal. And, um, you know, even looking at things like a super rugby fixture for 2023, the fact that we're not going to have the, the kind of the, the super rugby AU before the Trans-Tasman and that sort of thing, the fact that we're going to get back to a fully integrated competition, it's just so exciting. Yeah, no, you're totally right, and it's it's going to be really good. Uh, it's going to create kind of different competition as well, and hopefully a bit a few more storylines as well. And kind of looking ahead uh, to 2023, I know there's so much coming on. I was kind of listening through some of the events before. What what event is kind of standing out for you? I know it's kind of a bit hard because there's so much on. We've got the netball World Cup. There's a rugby World Cup. You got the Australia co-host and the women's football World Cup, and even the Ashes next year as well. Yeah, I think the latter two you mentioned uh, really resonate with me. I, I think the Football Women's World Cup, um, I, I, I think that's just going to absolutely blow people away who perhaps aren't all that au fait with the rise and rise of women's football. And I, I think that's going to really make a bit of a statement here um, in Australia and New Zealand around the growth of women's sport and women's football in particular. That's really, really exciting. Um, the Ashes, look, the Ashes is going to be huge and, and it's one of your colleagues, Brendan McCullum, or, you know, he's the one who's who's really elevated what that looks like with the way England are playing Test cricket at the moment, completely, um, you know, blowing up the textbook and, and and playing a completely different style of cricket at that level. Um, you know, the last Ashes was a bit of a fizzer. We won really, really comfortably, but right now, Brendan McCullum's got that England team and and Ben Stokes have got that England team, you know, really capable taking anyone in the world on and and doing it in their own. Um, yeah, you know, hugely entertaining manner. So, so that certainly stands out as well. And you know, you mentioned the Rugby World Cup. There's a degree of trepidation around that for, for Aussie rugby fans. I think we, we talk rugby a lot on this program, and, and we talk about some of the frustrations of being a Wallabies fan. And I think you look at, at, at kind of a, a squad of players, and you think there's plenty there for a Wallabies fan to be excited about. There's absolutely a great 23 players that could. Uh, could be selected that could take anyone in the world on on their day, but we don't seem to have been able to, um, I guess, decipher the code of who those 23 should be, what positions they should play, and that continuity and cohesion. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like I talk about it all the time, but it's still severely lacking in a Wallabies team that, um, you know, still right now are, are tossing up potentially a late change of head coach for that tournament. We've got, um, you know, four or five really important players under massive injury clouds for that tournament as well. So. Yes, the Rugby World Cup's exciting, but, but there's certainly trepidation associated with it as well. Yeah, well, I wanted to touch on the cricket So first before we get to get to the rugby, but uh, on uh, Izzy and Kempe, which is our breakfast show this week, they had Andrew Miller, who I think works for ESPN Cricket Info, and he was talking about how he was covering the Ashes, and of course we had all the lockdowns and that on, and he said when he was covering it, and it was that dominant, that he was kind of sitting there thinking, what on earth am I doing with my life? And then he said the, the Baz coming in, he's kind of rejuvenated the love for English cricket, so I guess for uh, for, for the Aussies, there's probably going to be that anticipation of a of a stronger challenge this year and it could be probably, you could almost say it could be one of the tightest ashes we've had. Yeah, I think nobody could predict what's going to happen and that's what, you know, the the formula of what Baz has got that team doing is that, that you just don't know what they're capable of and, and they seemingly believe that they can win from any position and they're prepared to, to do whatever it takes and, and we haven't really, you know, it's, it's certainly pretty extraordinary and revolutionary and, and something we haven't really seen a lot of before. I think the other key factor for the Ashes that wasn't here last time 
is we're going to have the Barmy Army and the touring fans hopefully back mm. in their thousands. And, you know, that made a massive difference being, a, you know, I, I went to the test at the Gabba and, 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 you know, while you still have expats and the like, um, you know, and there were a few, I think, who came over. I can't remember the specific um, entry and lockdown rules at the time, but it was a, a far smaller, far quieter um, cohort of Barmy Army supporters, whereas if you go back, um, you know, the, the kind of couple of series before that, there were times where it felt like the Australian supporters were outnumbered in the in the stadium and, and the atmosphere was unbelievably electric. Now, the reality is, um, with the exception of the subcontinental teams, nobody cheers on their cricket teams like English fans. I mean, Aussies and, and Kiwis, we don't cheer in the same way the Barmy Army do. We don't play trumpets. We don't sing songs in the same way. So you are always going to feel a little bit outnumbered, but... Um, it, was, it felt like something was missing last time around, so we're excited to welcome them back down under, hopefully send them home uh, with their tail between their legs and, and, and all of that, but it's going to be a really gripping series. Um, that being said, Benny, I, you know, I, I don't think we should underestimate the challenge coming up for the Australians you know, just around the corner here against the South Africans in the upcoming yeah. Test Series. They've got an unbelievable record down under. Um, you know, I know in recent years South Africa have had a few scandals and a few crises of their own in, in the cricketing sense, but you know, we're not underestimating them, and I think they'll certainly be stiffer opposition than what we've seen from the West Indies. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, Pete, with that. Uh, we are 27 away from nine on extra time. Pete Fairburn uh, for calling West Island. Pete, I don't know how many Aussies would actually have as their, their Christmas wish list present for 2023 as Eddie Jones being the coach of the Wallabies heading into the World Cup. Well, talk about one of the most polarising topics you could possibly encounter around the water cooler, right? I think... Yeah. Um, there's a, a fairly large body of evidence when you come to a coach who's, who's coached at the highest level for so, so long, uh, you, know, you know what you're going to get. It's the complete opposite to Baz McCullum. So, so the way Eddie operates um, you know, has, has brought him a huge amount of success at a provincial and international level over a long and distinguished career. So he's not going to um, you know, rip up his notes and start again. So you know you're going to get an intense individual. You know you're going to get players and, and support staff who who don't thrive in that environment and burn out and possibly, you know, um, don't, don't perform at their best. And, and you know that you're going to get a guy who's probably going to upset sponsors and media managers and make plenty of enemies along the journey. That being said, you also know you're going to get a guy who's just been sacked despite a 73% win record with the England team over, you know, a seven-year period, which is remarkable, the best in their history and, and nearly twice as good as, I think, Dave Reddy's operating at 37% at the moment. That goes up to 82% a winning record at Rugby World Cups as a coach, which is is just remarkable. Um, you know, so heading into a Rugby World Cup year, somebody like that who has spoken about having unfinished business in Australian rugby suddenly hits the market 12 months earlier than expected, then into a, a British and Irish Lions tour in two years, then into a home World Cup. You're crazy not to consider whether the pros outweigh the cons, and that's where we're at right now. Um, all the reports indicate that bringing him in as, as kind of a director of rugby, uh, working you know, in tandem or over the top of Dave Rennie isn't something that appeals to Dave Rennie. Um, so that's really what Australian rugby has to work through now. I think if you've got a World Cup specialist, which you could almost say Eddie Jones is, um, you're crazy if you're not looking, you know, and, and you do want to bring him in, and, and Hamish McLennan, the Rugby Australia chairman, quoted in the papers over the weekend saying, we are speaking to him and, and we'd love to potentially bring him in. I think the reality is that there's no point bringing him in for 2024 and missing out on having him in 2023. So then you've got to start to unpack 
what does that look like? Is there a way he could integrate into that Dave Rennie environment? If you're Dave Rennie, you're having to have some serious, serious thought about, am I willing to walk away from my job if Eddie Jones is presented as somebody who's going to be part of the, the conversation? So it's a really, really interesting situation. Still plenty to play out in that space. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, nobody really knows exactly where it's going to land at the moment. No, it's. Uh, I, I kind of had a feeling that, you know, if you had said at the start of the November internationals, Eddie Jones probably would be gone. I think well, I kind of I would have said I would have been surprised personally. But uh, you look at the pool that Australia have at the World Cup. They got Wales, Fiji, Georgia, and Portugal. Do you think with if say Eddie Jones does replace Rennie, do you think that that Aussie team could go further than what Rennie would be able to do? Oh, look, it's a really tough question, Ben, because I've been a supporter of Dave Rennie's, you know, for longer than he's been in that Wallabies post, and I really believed, you know, that, that he was a fantastic appointment. He has had some real uh, unfortunate sequences of events around injuries and the like, and, you know, some really narrow defeats. Even on this tour just gone, you know, you, you, you lose to Ireland and France, arguably two of the best three teams in the world, by, uh, by a couple of points max on each occasion, and you think, you know... A, a better kick here or there, and, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're coming off that spring tour, you know, four out of five. But the reality is you lose those matches. You lose to Italy for the first ever time. Um, the blowtorch is well and truly on. So, uh, look, I think if Eddie Jones is genuinely gettable, um, he needs to, to be brought in to be involved in that 2023 World Cup. And what that looks like, whether it's something, as I say, you know, alongside or over and above, Dave Rennie or, or whether it's in his place that's, that's a question for the decision makers as opposed to myself but you, you've got to take advantage of his availability and you, you know, you, you, you've got to look at what difference he might make to a program that hasn't really hummed along that effectively for the last three years I, Yeah I, I remember there was a report that came out was it last week I think and it was talking about Scott Robinson and a relationship he had with a high up person at Rugby Australia is is that just is that just throwing out an unlikely possibility yeah I think the report referenced Dan Herbert who of course the Wallabies great and played with Scott Robinson at Perpignan in the early 2000s and um, I, I think there's a lot that Aussies like about Scott Robinson um, you know I, I think that there's you know you know, even elements of that kind of beach bum surface style that really resonates with people um, and they think he could do a great job here. There's certainly a lot of surprise, I think, all over the world that New Zealand rugby seemingly um, haven't haven't locked this guy down and that whether it's England, whether it's France, whether it's, um, you know, Australia, that, that somebody else is going to profit from the availability of this, this incredibly successful provincial coach. I, I think the challenge is we don't know um, Scott Robertson's level of interest and availability. Um, we don't know where the Wallabies or, or coaching the Wallabies would sit on his list of preferences. You'd, um, it, it'd be pretty simple to assume you'd make a lot more money, for example, coaching England, or you could make an, a, you know, an extreme amount of money going and coaching you know, someone like a Leinster who he's been linked with in Ireland or, or even going and coaching the Springboks. So, you know, we, we've seen Robbie Deans, we, we've now seen Dave Rennie come in as as Kiwi coaches of the Wallabies, um, you know, Robbie Deans actually had a pretty pretty good coaching record with the Wallabies, and, and plenty of people will say that, that he was jettisoned a little bit too soon. But, um, you know, does Scott Robertson look at those, those uh, I guess, contemporaries of his who have had a tough time over here? Um, does he look at Raylene Castle, who was an administrator, you know, the moment things started going poorly, and she made some horrible decisions, but 
you know, the, the references to her nationality came up pretty quickly on that occasion as well. So are the Wallabies a really enticing option for Scott Robertson right now, or, or does he actually um, keep his powder dry and see where he lands with, with New Zealand rugby, you know, post the 2023 Rugby World Cup? I think, um, you know, forgive my ignorance if I've missed this somewhere along the journey, but I don't know if we're um, aware whether Ian Foster wants to coach on beyond 2023. Um, I know Joe Schmidt and, and Scott Robertson, apparently, um, there's not a great amount of eagerness to work together there, but I don't think it's as easy as Australian rugby saying we'd love to work with Scott Robertson. I think we need to know whether he wants to work with us or not. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that has been made very clear by Foster because usually New Zealand rugby wait till after the World Cup, but over here there's been a lot of talk to try make that decision before the World Cup, but that would be uncanny and I kind of feel like that if Foster did win the World Cup, argument's sake, he probably would want to stay on. I wouldn't see him winning the World Cup and wanting to resign because he probably would feel a bit smug about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's completely natural, right? And yeah. um, I, I guess it's the same position where Dave Rennie's been asking for a bit of certainty around his position beyond 2023 and saying that he'd love to be the coach beyond that. I think the reality is that in the cases of both Foster and Rennie, you can't make that guarantee right now. They're both coming off um, you know, years which are, are fairly disappointing um, you know, from a win-loss record, albeit you know, Foster's win record's a lot higher than, than Rennie's. The expectations are higher as well. So... Plenty to play out in that space. As I say, Eddie Jones is one we know is available right now. We know he's uncontracted. We know he's got unfinished business with Australian rugby uh, because he's on the record as having said it. Um, and we know he's, he's very passionate about the gold jersey. So if there's a way to bring him in, um, you know, I'm personally supportive of that. I know that um, it, it won't be an easy journey for lots and lots of people involved, but um, Eddie will certainly get some eyeballs on the sport and heading into you know, four massive years of, of rugby here in Australia or, you know, really six years with the Women's World Cup in 29 as well. Mm. Um, you know, some extra PR, some extra column inches for rugby in Australia wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Uh, Pete Fairburn, I'll get you out on this one. How How's the FIFA World Cup been received over in you know, your part of uh, the country and Australia as well, considering the Aussies reached the last 16? It's been really interesting, Ben. You know, I, I think there's been kind of three distinct phases of the World Cup. Um, you know, first there was, um, you know, nobody really over here had, had very high expectations for the Socceroos. Certainly most didn't think we'd get out of the group phase. And um, a lot of the, the pre-tournament focus was very much on the fact that the tournament was happening in in Qatar and, and, and all the kind of myriad, um, you know, challenges associated with that, all the inappropriateness that's been, you know, Far smarter people can speak to the, the, than myself, but but clearly lots of red flags around the hosting of that tournament, how it was awarded, some of the the horrible atrocities that happened in that country, whether it be to migrant workers or the persecution of um, of homosexual people and and, and other um, you know uh, gender diverse people, and I think um, you know that was kind of how it was viewed initially, and then all of a sudden, oh wow, Australia's actually showing a bit of a bit of ticker and a bit of heart and. Um, you know, certainly the country united behind the Socceroos and, and, you know, they certainly did us proud and pushed Argentina all the way in the round of 16, completely surpassed expectations, matched the achievements of the golden generation from 2006 with a squad that, you know, with all due respect, is nowhere near as strong as on paper. So that really took people along on the journey. And I think, you know, the, then we go into a last eight and with the exception probably of, of Morocco, you could say seven of the eight teams into the quarterfinals were teams that 
people probably expected to be there. So people got really excited about the fact that this was a World Cup where um, you know all you know the cream was really rising to the top. And um, then off the back of England's England's exit, uh, you know Morocco getting through and, and Brazil's exit. I don't know, maybe slightly less interest in it now, uh, you know, since that's happened. But I, I think in general the viewing times have been pretty favourable. I'm sure likewise across the ditch there. It's been pretty easy for most people to watch a game at, at 5 or 6 o'clock, depending on what part of the country you're in. It's been a pretty nice way to start the game and, uh, sorry, start the day. And, um, you know, certainly lots of eyeballs on football more broadly. It'll be interesting to see how much of that carries over to the A-League, I think. There was a big chunk of players in the, the Socceroos squad who play their domestic football in the A-League and maybe that'll give it, um, you know, a little bit greater legitimacy um, in the eyes of some. But, you know, to close the loop, what we spoke about earlier, the Women's World Cup here and, and in NZ next year, I think that's the really exciting moment now for um, for football in Australia and, and really for the evolution and, and continued uh, growth of women's sport. And, and we've seen, you know, the evolution of, the Super W, the NRLW, the AFLW, um, our Matildas are, are enormously popular here and in Sam Kerr have one of the sport's biggest names playing for them. Our Australian women's cricket team, the Southern Stars, are hugely popular here, but I think that's going to blow people away, the sheer scale and significance of that event. I think it's going to be a real line in the sand moment for women's sport in Australia and, and I'm unbelievably excited for it. Pete Fairburn, uh, thank you for all your contributions here on Extra Time in 2022. Have a great Christmas and New Year, and we'll love to have you back on in 2023. Benny, I'm looking forward to actually spending uh, two beautiful, hopefully sunny weeks in Canterbury over the Christmas break, getting, oh, nice. uh, getting across there see my in-laws. So it's going to be wonderful. Thanks for you, for you and Ricardo and all your production team for your hard work this year. Love being on the show, and um, yeah, really, really, really enjoy your company and, and chatting all things sport. Cheers, Pete. That's Pete Fairburn there from us talking over in West Island. It is 15 minutes away from nine.